0: Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Rich Roll here, host of the Rich Roll Podcast, the podcast where I sit down with the outliers, the paradigm breakers, the big forward thinkers. And in the case of this week's guest... The reformed, uh, what would you call yourself, Mishka?
1: How about reforming?
0: Reforming in in a perpetual state of reforming. What?
1: Uh, reforming idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Bad boy. It, excellence. <laughs>
0: across all categories of excellence and positive culture change to mine the tools, the insights, and the principles that can help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So we're doing an unprecedented thing here. I'm having Mishka sit here and record the podcast intro with me, something I usually do by myself. (laughs) We just wrapped our interview, and I thought it would be fun to have him join for this section. How do you think the interview went?
1: Uh, it's scary. It's always scary. We always talk about stuff in public that, uh, that, that I, I wouldn't talk about in private. But, yeah. um, you know i'm proud of what we do we always we always go there i think it was pretty good yeah we broke some new ground on a couple issues i think pretty wide ranging too we you and i we can talk about anything yeah
0: yeah yeah. (laughs) all right well for somebody who's brand new to the podcast and maybe missed the six or five or seven or however many times you've already been on the show uh let's break down your background a little bit uh Empresario of the kindle singles market how many best-selling kindle singles have you written
1: well let's back up or going even earlier than that i'm an alcoholic uh-huh. and i'm also a best-selling writer i've had six best-selling kindle singles I'm a musician i have a new record coming out october 2nd called coward's path which is about my years in darkness uh-huh. um i am a sometime ultra runner um, I am, uh, which
0: is the subject of perhaps your
1: best selling Kindle single, The Long Run. Yes. Which you have
0: adapted into a new book which is coming out in March.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's going to be called, uh, I Swear I'll Make It Up to You mm-hmm. on, uh, on public affairs. And yeah, that'll be out early March. And, uh, yeah i don't know i i feel like my role in the ritual podcast is to be your number one fan
0: (laughs) i don't know about that (sighs) i i I would call it erstwhile co-host and now that you're uh going to be spending a lot more time in california uh i can foresee um doing a lot more on the show with you so i'm looking
1: forward to that absolutely Uh, you you know the number that's right
0: so we won't spoil it uh this is a really uh, fun conversation, uh, similar and also quite different than the other appearances of Mishka on the show. But uh, if you've enjoyed those, then I think you're going to dig on this. A quick note, uh, just to make all you guys aware, there's some explicit language for those of you that are queasy. So if you've got kids in the car or you're playing it in the kitchen or whatever, maybe pop the earbuds in or listen to it later. But uh, it's not too bad. But, you know, Mishka's Mishka. You got to let him be I can't who he turn is. it down, man. That's I got to right. be me. Um, Thank you, everybody, who uh, has supported the show. I appreciate you guys tuning in. It means a lot to me. Thanks for subscribing on iTunes and for subscribing to my weekly newsletter and for uh, using the Amazon banner ad for all your Amazon purchases. If you click the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com, it won't cost you anything extra on your Amazon purchases, but it really puts wind in our sales. I appreciate everybody who has uh, made a point of doing that. That means a lot. Um, Before we get into the interview, uh, a quick note. Uh, If you've been listening for a while, you know that I've got a couple online courses at mindbodygreen.com. I've got The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition and also a course called The Art of Living with Purpose. And uh, they are running a sale on both of these courses starting on August 26 and running through August 30. So The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which is like three and a half hours of streaming video content. It's basically a great like sort of, um, uh, piece that goes well with the plant power Way, our cookbook. Uh, it's usually $99. It's available for just $54 and the art of living with purpose is on sale, uh, for $69. It's usually 99. So again, that runs eight twenty six through eight 30, uh, go to mindbodygreen.com, click on video courses and, uh, you can check that out. And, uh, that's it. We're just going to get into it. I appreciate you guys uh, for all the support and the love. Um, keep telling your friends and keep sharing it. And without further ado, Mishka Shubali. Any, any last words before we get into the interview?
1: Um, brace yourselves. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: We're brought to you today by On. gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16 year old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue and it's been wonderful as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it, my body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer that seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com.
1: Michigan, man. What's going on? Oh, my God. Here we are again. I can't believe it. <laughs> enter, enter the octagon. Is this like uh,
0: number five? How many times have you been on the podcast?
1: Uh, this is five or six. It's something like that. It's, yeah. it's turning into, it's like a biannual public therapy.
0: Well, the last time I saw you, I think, was the uh, our, our book party in New York City. Yes. And that was, we attempted to do a live podcast there, but the recording was... I'm never going <laughs> to live that down. ...to work out. I've tried three times yeah three times to record live events and every time it's been a it's been a misfire i thought we had it dialed in and then when i went to listen to it i was like we can't air this could barely hear it Oh, That's okay. Such,
1: I, I, you're you're taking it more in stride than I am because I was the one who was like, "Rich, we got to do this. It's going to work. I'm going to make it work." And We had the backup recorder. We had the. Oh. I
0: know, but I told you. I said it hasn't worked yet. So I, my expectation level was like very, very low. So when it, when I listened to it and it didn't work out, I was like, "Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't expect it to." I, <laughs> so um, it's weird because a lot of people do live podcasts. And somehow they figured out how to do it. I don't know why we're having so much trouble. It's, it's that weird thing where you're trying to have it go out to the speakers so the people in the audience can hear it. And you're also patching into the recorder. And it seems simple, but for some reason it's trickier than...
1: I think it takes a gen- like eye. a Jenny Jones level of production in order yeah. to make th- something like that happen. Right. And apparently that's above and beyond what I can do.
0: <laughs> well, the past is the past. We're here now. Yes. You're in, uh, you're in my little office here in Los Angeles. Lots of life changes. And uh, let's catch up, man. Like what's happening in the life of Mishka? Uh, we're flying without a net, by the way. We got no, no, uh, I got no agenda here. No my notes, page of man. notes is blank. And we're just going to freewheel and see where it, see where it goes
1: i uh i just left new york left, uh my home of seventeen years my apartment of nine years the apartment that i bottomed out in mm-hmm. and uh bounced back um and i just turned in my book which is yeah congrats thank you which is uh you know, I'm so excited and anxious about that.
0: Is that the final, final edit? I mean, there'll be notes and copy editing and all that, right? I mean, are you still expecting, uh, like, response from the editor to come back and rework some stuff, or is this pretty much it?
1: Uh, that's it for editorial feedback. Now we go to the lawyers, which I know that will be extensive. And then also the— uh, Oh, because
0: <laughs> why, <is it laughs> why, are gonna, why are the lawyers going to need to get involved?
1: Uh, some names must be changed in order to protect uh, the guilty.
0: Okay. (laughs) What's the, what's the title?
1: The title now is, I swear I'll make it up to you, Ah. which didn't, didn't really ring my bell initially because it struck me as overtly sincere, but the more that I went through my head, it struck me as totally perfect because that's the kind of thing that an alcoholic says to you over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it it never happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is my attempt this is a, a big long apology to a lot of people
0: so this is this is your your literary amends to the world <laughs> yeah
1: and in, in part yeah it's also i mean it's a it's a really deep exploration of my relationship with my father and how how um you know how that influenced my decision to drink to excess over and over and over again and and it's about patching up that relationship you know the um
0: has has your dad read the manuscript
1: man my last encounter with my dad was I, uh, I stopped off at his house for a day when I was on tour with a buddy of mine. And at the end of you know, our visit together, I said, Dad, you know, every time I come out here to see you, I always have something I need to talk to you about. And he was like, oh, I know. And I, I said, you know, I don't really have anything to talk, any issue to go over with you now. I just want to tell you that I love you. And he said, Mishka, I read the book. I know. You know, I love you too, and then the violins came up and the sunset in the background. Right. So he, embraced. so he did read the, he did read it. <laughs> yeah, I. Um. He was, he was there reading it with me, sort of like you know, every step of the way. Um, and it's man, that, that was a real emotional tightrope to, um, to have my dad, you know, cause it's written, you know, when i when I was 19, I'm writing as if I was 19. So I'm t- saying that he's, you know, a coward and a scumbag and a piece of shit and how much I hate my father. And he's reading all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm having him fact check stuff. So it's like, okay, this argument that we had in 1997 um, let's reconstruct that together. You know, and uh, so
0: you're workshopping it with him.
1: Yeah, it, it was so check um, your
0: your memory against his memory, both of which I'm, I'm sure are highly unreliable.
1: Well, this was the this but was distinct, right? there were so there were so many gifts in the book, and one was um, I interviewed him a couple years ago, um, and one of the things that he said in that interview was, uh, "People misremember things, even if I remember it wrong." This is how I remember it. Mm -hmm. And that became my North star when writing this book was that. To honor his version, his memory um, of of events. No, to honor mine. It's (laughs) my, it's my book. Uh If he wants to write a book, I'll help him fact check it. (laughs) But that was the thing is that was more, it was to free myself from an expect the expectation of writing an objective truth Mm -hmm. and instead to say, this is my story. It's how I remember it. My story is valid. It's going to be, it's going to be wrong in a lot of ways, but that's, it's how I remember it. Mm -hmm. And my, my father was incredibly supportive. He was like, well, I don't remember it that way, but this, this story, this is your, your memory, you know? So he was like, You know, print it that way. That's how you remember it.
0: That's pretty cool of him. I mean, he could have gotten angry or resentful or lashed out at you. So that's an interesting kind of, you know, dynamic to be in with with somebody that, you know, you love and
1: raised you. It's uh, it was such a bizarre experience, Rich. I um, when when I was, you know, drawing this uh, this book into focus with Bird, when we were like getting ready to pitch it to uh, to different editors, Um, you know, the elevator pitch that we settled on was uh, how long distance running helped me forgive my father. Mm -hmm. And I was never quite comfortable with that and I couldn't figure out why. And then I got, you know, 60% of the way through the book and I was like, Oh, the reason I feel uncomfortable about it is because I haven't forgiven my father. And this is a huge problem because the only thing that I offer to people as a writer is my honesty. And I've, and I I lied here. I haven't forgiven him. I, I let myself down. I let every single reader down. I need to give the money back and torch this project and just be done with it. But when... If you feel like you're in hell, the solution is not to stop and sit down, but to keep moving, to, to get through it. Mm-hmm. And I, so I just kept writing. I kept writing. I kept talking to my father, kept trying to work it out. And then... One day I woke up and I sort of like opened a cupboard in my heart looking for the anger and resentment that I had for my dad. And it wasn't there. It um, it's not I didn't make a conscious decision to uh, like I'm going to forgive him. I just went looking for that anger one day and couldn't find it. And it's like I forgave him against my will.
0: So it wasn't anything specific that occurred or some kind of light bulb moment? It was just an evolution. Do you think it was just the process of trying to grapple with uh, your relationship with him as you're, you know, workshopping this book and trying to figure out how you're going to lay it out that got you to that place? Or, you know, what do you attribute that to?
1: There's a uh, there's a great Hemingway quote, and he talks about, uh, you know, a family losing their money. And he says... Uh, It happened very gradually and all at once. And that's sort of how I forgave my father. You know, part of it was um, I discovered that my dad had been molested by his mother until he was 14 years old. And that's a a big one. Yeah. And how
0: did you discover that?
1: It's a good story. Sometimes. sometimes you do a bad thing and the end result is is good um i was on tour when i was living out of my van and you know my my drinking and substance use was you know pretty redlining as it was for years mm-hmm. and years and uh i was staying at his house when he wasn't there and um uh he got you know he divorced my mother um or the, he had an annulment done by the catholic church so he could remarry his second wife teresa Um, in the Catholic church. So there was this annulment, this document where he talks about why the marriage was void and blah, blah, blah. And I knew that it was full of answers. And I knew that like that secret information that I saw that, you know, the key that would crack this whole thing opened. I knew that it was in there and, um, but I knew I didn't have access to it, you know? So I was at his house, I'm drinking, you know, I, I hooked up with some friends. So I had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different drugs that I was taking, getting pretty loose and uh you know i logged on to his computer and right there on the desktop it said annulment and i was like no man this is fucked up this is the wrong thing to do Mm -hmm. don't do the wrong thing be strong do the right thing don't read it he didn't give it to you it's not yours to read and it was physically exhausting for me to do the right thing. Right. <laughs> that, that's it's not not my specialty. Right, right. So I pushed myself away from the computer desk in the rolling chair and like leaned back and let my head fall to the left and then I glanced over and there was a filing cabinet right there and the the filing one drawer was open 1 inch and one tab was sticking out of the the open drawer and it said annulment. <laughs> and i was like okay um the god that i don't believe in wants me to read this <laughs> this is a sign from
0: you could that's one interpretation
1: <laughs> or the universe or whatever and so i um so i opened it and i read and um you know I, I re- he had written something about me you know that like you know my son is an alcoholic failure and that was incredibly gratifying to read because i knew mm. that's what he thought of me And, uh, it was, I was like, okay, finally, here it is the truth. And then I also read, you know, about, um, about his life, you know, as a child growing up in, you know, rural, um, you know, growing up on a farm in Northern Saskatchewan, um, pretty isolated, uh, you know, very sort of deeply culturally ingrained alcoholism and domestic abuse and, you know, just the, the gulag of his childhood Mm -hmm. and, So I read that, you know, I read all that stuff when I was 26 or 27 and then just filed it all away in my head because I had no idea how to deal with it. But then so the process of writing this book and, you know, so that was the thing that happened sort of all at once. And then but then there was the gradual process of just talking to my father again, asking him questions, listening to him, listening to his responses, you know, engaging with each other and um, and hearing him listen to me. Um, I finally sort of realized that my dad just isn't like capital M capital D my dad. Uh, he's a guy, he's a man. And before that he was a boy. And before that he was a child and like that he had all these experiences that add up to the person who I know now. And he made some mistakes. I've made some mistakes. You've made some mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he, you know, I know he didn't want me when I was a kid, but I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a man, and he loves me. I love him, you know? You get one dad in your life. It's what you make of it, and uh, this, is a, this is a long, exhausting year just trying to salvage that relationship. And
0: Right, but you, you, so you came into this information quite a while ago, though, so it wasn't like in the process of writing this book, you had this discovery about his past. It was just more of a, um, kind of a, a realization or, or a dawning upon you that, uh, that this information that you came into while you were drinking and using uh, perhaps, you know, could help solve this wound.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were a couple, were a couple of new discoveries. That was an old discovery. Um, but I think you'll agree with me that uh, our brains are endlessly wily when it comes to concealing truth from ourselves. We hide it from ourselves better than anybody can hide it from
0: us. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you're an alcoholic.
1: And also, I, I didn't there's, want. To, there's I,
0: levels of denial. You know. Yeah, and yeah. Even, that would, You know. It's a constant process of of discovery and trying to grapple with being more honest with yourself, and it's painful.
1: It sucked, dude. It absolutely sucked. It was. Um, if I make, if I make other people cry one-tenth the amount that I made myself cry when I was writing this book, I will make a (laughs) million (laughs) dollars because I was just there hurting my feet, my own feelings every single day, sitting in front of the computer, like melting down. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that I did it. You know, it's worth, you know, it's worth doing the work.
0: Well, it's interesting because when you kind of launched into this project, I mean, it was originally sort of conceptualized as just a longer form version of the long run, your Kindle single, right? You were going to kind of extrapolate upon that and turn it into, you know, a 300 page version of what you'd already written. But then, you know, in the process of, of, of working it out, it becomes something else entirely.
1: Yeah, writing a, a piece of writing takes on a life of its own. It's like, you know, you're playing uh you're playing GI Joes or something and you have a script or a narrative, but then at a certain point you take your hands away and the GI Joes keep moving mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to sort of like record their movements, you know. And and that was the thing is that I could have fought this book and I could have, you know, made it more, you know, just about running and the races and, you know, grinding out the miles and but um this was a problem I had to solve, man. This was, um, this is why I drank. I I finally figured it out, Mm -hmm. you know, And, uh,
0: so in your mind, do you think that you solved and and cured yourself of alcoholism?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Dude, you do this to me every time. We need to have the, uh, we need to have it like the setup jar. And every time you set me up for one of those, you have to put a dollar in it. (laughs) That'd be like six bucks by now. (laughs) I'm just interested in your response. My response is no. Um, that's, that's a relief to hear. It, uh, I'm an alcoholic. I will be an alcoholic for the rest of my life. And I understand that. Yeah. And uh, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And um I know that the you know the instant that um you know th- the instant that I think I got a beat is the in- is when I, that's when I start drinking again.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I mean I think that 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 query of like you know why am I an alcoholic? What caused me to be mm-hmm. an alcoholic? I me mean, people ask me that all the time and you know I don't really have an answer for that, um, and I don't spend a lot of time trying to, you know, mine that question for an answer either, because I, I don't I don't know that it will avail me of any, you know, additional piece. Like, I just know that I am, and I know what the solution for me is, and I try to do the best that I can, and I'm highly flawed and fallible in that regard, but um, but I'm always trying to move forward. Uh, and and I so I don't have a crystal clear... You know, idea of like this is why you know. Yeah. Um. You know, my background is very different from yours, and you know, I could say, well, it w- you know, maybe it was because of this, or maybe because it was that. But at the end of the day, I just th- that it is what I am. You know, and I, can yeah. ex- I accept that. And getting to the bottom of the whys doesn't necessarily, you know, I don't always find that to be a productive use of my time.
1: Yeah. No. I. I definitely. I mean, I, I phrase it as. um you know, I understand um, why I drank um, and I don't phrase it as I've I cured myself. You know, it's it's sort of like, um, you know, you toss and turn all night long and it's like, oh, you know, you know, do I need to quit coffee? Like, what did I eat before or whatever? You know, and then finally in the morning you like, you know, you lift up the mattress and there's a huge stone under your bed. And it's like, oh, man, that's what it was. You know, it's been a mystery my whole life of like, you know, what's been eating me, what's been like driving me crazy. And, uh, you know, and I really think that that was it. Um, You know, I mean, obviously there's other, you know, there's other factors and stuff. Um, You know, I mean, it runs in my family. That's one thing. But um, I'm it's weird, man. I'm at a point now where I'm not it's not just that I um, that I accept that I'm an alcoholic and that I'll always be an alcoholic but I'm like grateful for it now. (laughs) God forbid. Just that, you know, I was talking to, I I was uh, talking to somebody the other day or, you know, somebody wrote to me about, um, you know, creativity and, um, you know, if, if using substances had helped me or, you know, whatever. And, um, I didn't answer that question, (laughs) but I was able to just say that, um, I I make no apologies for the life I lead now and I'm done with making apologies for the life that I led. It brought me to this point. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that if I I think if I hadn't been an alcoholic, I'd be a lot less empathetic to other people with their struggles Mm -hmm. with whether it be with food or poisonous relationships or, you know, or whatever. Um, I certainly know what it's like to be, uh, to be weak, you know? and that's an invaluable experience everybody mm-hmm. should feel like that sometime mm-hmm. um you'll under you'll have much more compassion for your fellow human beings if you know what it's like to just you know ah, i just want to throw myself on the floor and cry and um you know i think i gained a lot of experience and you know wisdom um i wish i had spent less time doing it <laughs> like right. maybe 10 years less right. but at the same time um to figure it out at 32, a lot of people figure it out at 52, you know? So I just right. got to be grateful for that I figured it out as early as I did.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, in the parlance of, of recovery, they call it, I, I will no longer wish to shut the door. On, I will no longer regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. And if you can get to that place, that's a really beautiful thing. And I would agree with you on the empathy thing. Like, I think that, you know, when you've when you've suffered... And, and kind of come out the other side, and and you're trying to repair your life, and evaluating the wreckage of your past, and you're dealing with shame and regret um, and resentment, and you know you're 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 hard on you're harder on yourself than anyone else is in the world. It's a it's a it's a lonely place, you know. And yeah. and to crawl out of that, you know, one day at a, at a time to get to a new place where you know, your life is repaired, and, and and you have meaning and purpose, and you have something to offer, um, allows you to um, be more uh, gentle with other human beings, you know, and, and, you know, it's an interesting time right now, like I've said this before on the podcast, but, you know, we're in the, the Gawker culture, you know, we're in this schadenfreude infused, you know, sort of, public shaming sort of where people thing. triumph
1: in watching people yeah take and, a fall. and
0: and i don't you know i don't like that you know it's like i don't want you know somebody shining that mirror on me and i don't i don't celebrate it when it's shined on somebody else we're all flawed human beings we've we've all done things you know that that uh we're not proud of and and and, and i think that you know people that, that that celebrate that like need to really kind of look at their own lives a little bit more and, and I don't judge them either. You know, I'm like trying really hard to just be compassionate to everybody, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird time that, that, uh, that um, is confusing, I think for a lot of people, like I don't, you know, it's, it, it doesn't make me feel good about our culture when I see that.
1: I, I agree. Um, it's difficult to, it's like every time you open your computer or flip on your phone it's like let's get depressed <laughs> that's really what it is and i i find myself in a in a curious um, you know something that's having a positive effect on me you know with a sort of internet culture is that you know with my sort of music career starting to spring back to life you know i i so i Played this show last night where I'm playing my old songs about smoking crack and drinking whiskey and like Mm -hmm. just being an idiot and an asshole. And uh, and people are laughing and loving it. And, um, you know, and then towards the end of the set, I'd say, listen, I'm sober. It's been six years. You know, you you live as long as you can without learning. But eventually the truth will, you know, get through to you. And um, but I find I find that I'm walking a tightrope between. Um, delivering the stuff that, that those the music fans want, you know, um, you know, songs and stories of you know, uh, being a wasteoid and you know, chemical excess, and then also the um, you know my readership from the long run and Kindle singles and like doing the stuff that you know you and I have done together, and um, you know because because of the internet, all that shit is out there together, and so there are you know there are people from. Who have heard my music from Doug Stanhope? Mm-hmm. There's a guy who wrote to me first when uh, when he had just gotten out of jail, um, and he had been like singing my songs in his jail cell, and now he like started listening to your podcast and stuff <laughs> like that. And That's awesome. Man. And there are people who listen, who already listen to your podcast and listen to Doug's podcast, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's fr- it's incredibly frustrating for me because I'm trying to figure out you know which one of those guys I am. And I'm both of those guys. And yeah, why do you have
0: to bifurcate that?
1: Exactly. And and I keep leaning towards that and, and the internet keeps pushing me to say, No, this is I'm I'm all of these people. You know, a great Walt Whitman line, you know, I'm I'm large, I contain multitudes. I'm all of those people. They're all me. It's all authentic. It's it's who I was at one time, it's who I am now, and the person who I am now encapsulates all the people I have been. And um uh, so it's you know
0: but in your evolution as a musician though don't you think it's sort of incumbent upon you now to to write new songs that reflect you know your current state of mind and the things that concern you now
1: yeah i um i fly out to uh i fly out to london tonight and then i'm gonna be there for a week um i just have three shows so i will have like a bunch of downtime there and uh the next, you know, the next, you know, the way that I'm going to rest my brain from writing the book is to write the next record. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be chipper or upbeat. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of songs about running. <laughs> You're going to write like a top 40 pop song. <laughs> yeah. And like, or about running an ultra marathon. <laughs> you know, apologies in advance. There will probably be no, you know, huge shout along plant power chorus. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm, now I'm hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm eager to see what comes out and whatever comes out, comes out, mm-hmm. you know, and there, and there may be more of, um, you know, there, there may be more stuff from my old life that I still need to process. There may be stuff, maybe marginally hope more hopeful now, but also, uh, you don't need alcohol to feel alone, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, man. Yeah, you don't need anything to feel alienated or weird or... Uh... Man, I was talking to my friend Zach about this. Like, we go to punk rock shows and people just look... You know, I'm I'm 38, he's 40. We go to punk rock shows and people just look at us like, who the hell? Like, whose dad is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> is this a cop? Is this, this is like... The narc yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, we... I love this band.
0: <laughs> That's okay, dude. As somebody who's 10 years older than you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I don't, you know, I don't perceive you as, as, you know, I don't know. I mean, I still look at you as a young man, so. But that—that's more about where I'm coming from. Well, the that's other th- cool—I mean, look at John Joseph. hes I was he's, just going to say he, fifty. I you was know? just going to say gets up there and rocks the house. So.
1: And you know what? And,
0: and, and JJ, there's a lot of like straight edge, you know, punk rock fans that are yeah. that are his age that still go to shows all the time.
1: Well, the other thing is, I would argue that JJ is hitting his prime now. You know, I mean, I, I always said fair. that I always said that I was going to do the and Wolf model where he put out his best stuff in like his 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the thing is that, um, you know, my uh, my editor, you know, was like, Mishka, you're you're an idiot. Like, why are you starving in the back of a minivan when your writing is doing so well and you could be doing like all these other things you should be publishing? Yeah, here I mean, that's and publishing my next. There. That's
0: sort of my next line of inquiry here. It's like your writing career is blowing up. You're on the precipice of releasing this book, and you insist on being semi homeless and driving around in that beater van that I can't even believe is still running. And essentially, you know, living this impoverished, you know, s- starving artist lifestyle of going from bar to bar to bar.
1: Rich, I do it. <laughs> I do it because it's what I do. Uh huh. That's, you know, um, being on the road, <laughs> this is so terrible. Being in a minivan that's that sounds like a Harley-Davidson because it's lost its muffler with like no air conditioning and you're driving through like Arizona and it's just incredibly hot and the, the whole thing smells like feet with like you know three other guys in the van who you all hate because you've been around them 24 hours a day for the last two weeks. And then somebody farts, and it's the funniest thing that's ever happened, and you laugh like you've never laughed before.
0: I get that. And I get that. Awesome. No, I mean, I get that. But like, I, <laughs> what I don't get is the insistence on holding on to like that van in some kind of nostalgic way. Like, you're teaching at Yale. You're, you know, you're on the move, and you're you're needing a vehicle that that serves you. You know, that's not going to break down. Uh, you know, you could certainly upgrade. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying go out and buy a fancy car, but But you could at least get something that's safe, (laughs) (laughs) and and on some level, I guess my question is, you know, is there some sort of deep-seated thing where it's like, no, I deserve the lousy van. Um, Like I don't, I don't deserve to upgrade to you know a car that functions.
1: I I don't. There's a lot of. I'll fess up to. There's a lot of stuff in my life that um, you know that's rooted in self hatred and low self opinion. The van, it's it's two things. One is that. this is my second... By the way,
0: I've been in the van, so I'm. I'm uh, this is first-hand testimony. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is beyond what you're imagining.
1: Your Yelp review <laughs> yeah, of my van. Yeah. <laughs> one star. It's <laughs>
0: definitely a one star. <laughs> Although I do like the padlock on the glove box.
1: Yeah, that always gets... Um, <laughs> when, every time I get pulled over, the cops are like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is the thing it's, you know, there's a two pronged argument. One is that, um, we live in a consumer culture and it's, it's fucking bullshit. It's so much bullshit. This is my, this is my second Toyota Previa. I probably put a hundred thousand miles. Um, no more than that. I bought, I got, I got my last Previa ran until I had 289,000 miles on it. I bought it when it had 165. This one I've only put uh, maybe twenty thousand miles on. Um, In you know with so you know with between those two vans, I've missed one show from the van breaking down.
0: All right, there you go. I mean, it it definitely has like this Walter White, you know, mystique to it.
1: (laughs) It's uh, it's good on gas. Um, I've never you know I've never had an accident or you know a, a dangerous breakdown. I've gotten flat tires and stuff like that. I know it inside and out, and and I think there's something to be said there's something noble to my role in my sister's house is to follow behind the kids and they eat the watermelon down so there's like still a, you know uh three quarters of an inch of good pink watermelon by the rind so my job is to pick up the rind to eat the rest of the useful watermelon they eat the apple so it looks like a cartoon core you know a, a cor- cartoon apple core where there's mm-hmm. still so much good and i eat the whole thing the rest of the thing it's it's good to use everything until it's used up you know, I intend to use this van until it's used up. For me, it's a source of pride that like I'm gonna get maximum utility out of this vehicle. And um the other the other thing is, you know, I have my friends pull me aside and they're like, dude, <laughs> you own a house and you're you drive this van that's like a death trap, you know, it's just swaying to burst into flames. And I'm like, Yeah, that's why I own a house. I make Smart economic decisions to cut costs on the everyday stuff, and uh, and that's how I was able to like buy the house and stuff right. like that.
0: Well, that's a good answer, man. I'm satisfied. All right, and yeah. also
1: I love it. I love it. It's like <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like my. Now, own <laughs> that's the real reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So, how does it feel to be completely out of New York City? I mean, New York City is sort of you know a character in your life. You know, yeah. it's formative in in negative and positive ways. Um, you know, I think I've heard you say, you know, it's like, well, New York doesn't have anything. There's nothing left for me in New York. You know, it's time to move on. I'm like, come on, just because you lost your lease. Is that a reason to really leave this city that has infused your, you know, your life and your art with so much, you know, life and material. So what is the, what's the justification for saying, okay, now I'm out of this apartment that I lived in for a long time, instead of just finding a new place to live in
1: New York, like I'm done. Well, man, you're, you keep hitting me with questions that I actually have good real answers to. Okay. So um, there have been, uh, there've been a series of essays that people have published about leaving New York and how like, Oh, it's not the city it used to be or it let them down or whatever. This is the thing when, you know, when you're 19 or 20 or 21, you move to the big city, you, you, you're moving to, to New York to transform. You're moving to New York to become who you are. You know, and I moved to New York to become a um you know, sleazy rock and roll musician and an alcoholic writer. And it didn't unfold the way that I had imagined it was going to. Um ne-
0: I got it never does.
1: I yeah. You know, and I was I was an arrogant son of a bitch when I moved there and I just got I just got it pounded out of me, man. I really it tore me down, it really broke me down. You know, I mean, just like just crying on the street and, um, and then I got transformed, you know, it, um, it broke me and it rebuilt me Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm leaving New York in part because I graduated. I, um, I got the transformation that I needed, not the transformation I wanted, but the transformation I, I, I needed. Um, it uh, it broke me down to zero, and then re- you know, New York and I built me back up to being a human being, and um, and I'll always be grateful to the city for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I really needed that. I needed something that that I couldn't outsmart, that I couldn't outwit. You know, the the city was just will always win. The house always wins. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but I am not fleeing New York. I am I am running to california and i'm running to california because my parents aren't gonna live forever man Mm -hmm. and uh i spent my whole early adulthood and you know a lot of my childhood just trying to alienate you know one or both of them and i finally realized that you know the only finite resource that we really have in this world is time and uh you know, I want to have a lot. There's a lot of good times for me left to have with my old man and with my, you know, with my mom and uh, you know my sister's little kids. Man, I was hanging out with Kai the other day, and he was like, "Skunkle, your eyebrows are creepy. There's hairs where there's not supposed to be hairs." Skunkle, yeah. <laughs> I can't get that in New York. <laughs> yeah, you know, one, you know, one of um, one of my AA buddies, you know, was, was like, "Oh, you know, you're pulling a location." A geographic, yes, and uh, and I was like, well,
0: which expi- just just for the listener who might not know what that means, it basically means you you wake up with this idea that if you that that where you live is the problem, and that if you just go to some place new, you can start fresh, and all your kind of demons or problems that visit you wherever it is that you live will no longer be a part of your life. But then you make that transition, and you wake up and realize that you brought yourself. To the new location, yes, and nothing changes, right? That's called yeah. a geographic, and you see that a lot, especially in in you know people that are struggling to get sober but not making it, and they instead of really addressing the drug and alcohol issue, they just think, well, if I move and start fresh and get new people around me, that will solve my problem.
1: Yeah, and I th- I think that's totally a valid concept. I mean, I I agree with you know the idea of you know pulling the location, but. My two problems with New York are that um, I'm seasonally depressive. So, you know, four or five months out of the year, no matter how I battle against it, I feel like opening a vein. Mm -hmm. And I feel incredibly alienated from my family who lives on the other side of the continent. Um moving to California isn't running away from those problems. It's solving those problems. Right. I
0: get you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think you're making it geographic. I just wanted to hear you explain it. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. And you're kind of you're you're living in like a trailer right now, right? Like Yeah. It's So you uh, own this house, but your mom lives in the house and you're it's no, like it's, it's like on the way to San Diego. Like I'm just trying to get a visual.
1: Rich, I can get anything wrong. I can like what? I can just I can screw anything up. It's hilarious. So I bought this house for my mom. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm, I'm such a good son. Finally, you know, finally, like the bad kid, like comes good. And, you know, so I like walked my mom through the house and I was like, you know, so what do you think? You know, like, do you love me? And she was like, Mishka, you idiot. Yes, of course I love you. And I don't love you a single bit more than I did when you were a penniless alcoholic. You're my son and I love you. <laughs> like, So I did this for nothing. <laughs> yeah. it's <was> like, mom, <laughs> you fucking ingrate. <laughs> like what did you ever do for me? No. And you know, she was like, you know, but this house, this isn't what I want. You know, she was like, I'm just a young woman of 66. I can't be tied down to a place like this. I have things I want to do. I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to hang out with my friends, you know, and if if you want to know what a woman wants, ask her. (laughs) (laughs) That's a novel concept. So, um, Yes. And, you know, and then also my sister pulled me aside. She was like, Mishka, are you, you asshole? What the hell are you doing? Like, I need mom here to help me with the four kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we made the decision to, uh, you know, the house is just rented right now. And um, we, we got a little trailer from my mom and, you know, stuck it in my sister's backyard. My mom has like just made it so incredibly beautiful um, inside and out. And she loves it there. And it's um, the kids call her Bee for some reason. So that's the beehive. Mm -hmm. And um, she's visiting uh, family right now in Canada. So uh, so that's where I'm crashing. I gotcha. And uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, I've been there for whatever a week or 10 days. And then
0: and now you're just you're kind of on the road now
1: yeah until uh until the middle of october wow. I, I leave tonight for london there for a week back for two days out for six weeks down to uh down to bisbee to visit doug i'll be touring the whole way
0: Are you gonna go to doug stanhope's compound down yeah yeah yeah
1: that's frightening <laughs> it's gonna be awesome i uh yeah doug is a singular person and then uh hang out there with doug for a second. Um, head back up to Seattle, fly out to New York um, for a couple of shows, fly back, and then tour down the coast of California, and then die.
0: <laughs> and die, yeah. <laughs> and drive when the van to the ocean. When does and, the, uh, when's the book come out?
1: Uh, the um, well the, the record is being re-released in October, October 2nd. So that's one of the reasons why I'm touring uh-huh. up to it and then after it. And then the book comes out, uh, I think, March 8th on public affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's the thing uh, you know, after all the touring's done, I'll be hanging out in California a little bit. There should be a European tour in the works, and then I have to head back to New York for the book release in March. hopefully there's a tour after that, teaching at Yale next summer mm-hmm. and then uh and then you know hopefully around this time next year, I'll be getting a real big boy house, and like an apartment or a tree house or something that where I can actually live in.
0: One can always dream.
1: <laughs> so I, have, I have been looking at RVs online, like in a guilty, furtive way, the way that somebody would look at like, you know, the the filthiest pornography.
0: <laughs> I, RVs are cool, man. I, you know, I'm into RVs. I'm into like that idea of being, you know, that's not my life, but, uh, you know I, know, I know the appeal. Like our friend andrew is living at our house on our property right now in an airstream and you know Mm -hmm. there's a certain liberty that comes with that and you know i'm also super into like micro houses i'm always looking at little you know like uh container buildings and all that kind of stuff like i think that that stuff stuff is really cool like you know if i was to do it again i would definitely probably go that route i think you know in terms of like Getting something cool and affordable, like, is, is, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening right now. And some of them are, like, amazingly architectural and, and awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, another thing for me is that, you know, buying an RV, there's, you know, there's a spot on my sister's land for me to stick an RV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important for me right now to be close to my sister. I, you know, I spent, you know, since I was a little kid, I mean, maybe like nine, I remember just, like, hating her and writing her off completely and um she and i have had a really rocky relationship and now we're like bffs it's so bizarre and i'm I'm just incredibly grateful for how
0: did you bridge that gap?
1: well uh when she threw me out of her house once um and i was like all right fuck you You know, throw me out. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back, you know, and then um, her husband's a Marine and they got uh, they got stationed in Okinawa. And so then I didn't see like her or her family for like six years. Mm. And then when they came back, I'd been sober for like 18 months or two years, something like that. And I went out to visit and uh, it sucks going back to a place you've been kicked out of and sort of having to like, you know, come to the door with your hat in your hand. And as soon as I walked in the door, I was like, "They just want to forgive me. (laughs) I want to be forgiven, and they want to. They want to forgive me." Mm -hmm. And that was like four years ago. She and I haven't had a harsh word for each other since then. We haven't had a single argument, you know. And you know, there have been times where she's had to say, um, "You know, I." you know, I need you to wash your dishes or whatever, or like that thing you said on Facebook. I wish you hadn't have said that, you know, so she's able to give me negative feedback. Um, but, uh, she came out to visit me in New York, you know, on the like end days of my apartment. And like, we, you know, we, uh, You know, we ran all over the city and I got, you know, I got to show her my New York and I was like, you know, that's where I blacked out. That's where, you know, here's where I took my first run, you know, and this, uh, you know, I got beat up in this bar. street
0: tour. Yeah. Your version of JJ's uh, Lower East Side street tour, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. New York,
0: according to Mishka.
1: Yeah. It's funny. She just texted me today on the way here and she was like, thank you so much for turning me on to Rich's podcast. Like I really, really enjoy it. Oh, that's cool. And their copy of uh, the Plant Power Way is like in the kitchen oh, nice, very man. prominently disp- you know nice. displayed so it's weird man I you know I'm not used to this thing of uh, somebody does something nice for you and then you do something nice for somebody else and then it just keeps going right
0: like when is he when's the shoe gonna drop
1: yeah like
0: I, when's it gonna all go bad
1: yeah that's <laughs> uh, I'm always waiting for that yeah, and it has, you know it hasn't happened and that's uh, no, great man it's great I, you know i don't know how to deal with it
0: <laughs> yeah it's interesting i'm i i feel the same way you know um it's a weird thing like as a result of the podcast and the books and stuff like that you know i get all these emails emails from people all the time all over the world you know saying super nice things like oh, i get so much out of the podcast and i just love it and you know i get i have critics too and and haters and all of that but it's pretty you know de minimis in, in comparison to you know the amount of support um that 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 kind of comes in and you know the the emails that say you know you've inspired me or you're an inspiration and and I get uncomfortable with that like I don't you know like I thank, don't
1: thank you for saying that.
0: I don't you know I I don't I mean maybe part of that is rooted in in low self-esteem but like I don't I want to be very careful um in making sure that people are not coming away with the impression that I'm standing up you know, on high and delivering some message down, down low, uh, about how to live your life. Like that's not, you know, who I am or what I'm doing or how I try to, you know, manage this podcast or anything like that. Like
1: Rich, I'm sharing
0: my experience. I try to bring on people that inspire me that I can learn from. Um, and I identify much more with the audience member than with the guests in, in, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I'm trying to figure this out too. And, and You know, I I don't want to be holding myself out as some kind of, you know, person who's figured everything out. You know, I'm as flawed as the next guy. I'm still, you know, have things that I got to work out and that I'm struggling with and and all of that. And so as much as I've gotten so much out of, of having amazing people on the show like yourself and so many others and and I appreciate all the positive feedback, there is that that. That weird thing—it's like a weird, vulnerable feeling that comes with that.
1: Rich, if I know one thing about you, that's the thing. Because every single time you and I do the podcast together, you give me another version of that speech, and it's—it's it's so clear that that's a um, that's something to your, you know, your very core understanding of yourself that you still see yourself as out in the trenches with everybody else who's like suffering and like you know searching for the light you know and um dude that's why we love you (laughs) you know you're uh you know i i know that i always know that um oh man i really want that cookie or i would love a cigarette you know or you know i don't really don't want to run today or like you know this is all bullshit I'm, i'm you know i'm losing faith in this um i know that you have the same you know that you have the same doubts and the same struggles all the time you know and um that does so much good for me, man, just to know that there's, you know, that there's somebody else, you know, who's, um, um, you know, relentlessly trying to keep moving forward, even though there's a part of them inside that keeps trying to like suck them back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I have to share an experience that, uh, that doesn't put me in a very positive light, but something that I'm incredibly grateful for. I, um, I was talking to a friend maybe a month ago, and, uh, I was really stressed out with the end of writing the book and this thing of sort of managing the amount of email and Facebook messages and Twitter and stuff like that that you get from people. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my friend and I was like, you know, I'm just, oh, I'm just so sick of it. You know, um, either it's just all these people writing to me because they want help with something, whether it's help with their writing career or help to stop drinking or whatever. Or people who just want to go on and on about, like, you know, how inspirational I am and what a great guy I am. And fortunately, I was able to listen to the words coming out of my mouth and hear them sort of rattle around in my brain and then think, you've really turned into a colossal asshole. (laughs) And... I need to go in and find that and like fucking destroy it because in, in I'm the sense so that
0: you're you're when you when you're on the receiving end of of all of that like sort of um you know lauding kind of energy that you start that starts to feed the ego and you start to buy into it is that what
1: you're saying no I mean I think a lot of it was sleep deprivation and stress and being you know f- freaking out about getting the book finished and having this move happen and you know I moved out under you know, fucking court order from my landlord and it was pretty, pretty (laughs) tense circumstances, you know, Um, you know, and then almost wound up in the hospital, you know, when I was trying to get out of there. Um, So a lot of it was just sort of being stressed out, but then it was also um, losing complete perspective on my own life and where I am and how appreciative I need to be. The people are, you know, that I have even, even, you know, even the knuckleheads who are who are like writing to me for promotion advice—they they, they don't—it's clear they haven't read any of my writing, but they just want to ha- to ape my financial success. Mm-hmm. I should still be grateful for them mm-hmm. because they're writing to me because I've been successful, you know, and that's something to be grateful for. And the people who are in trouble, you know, like that they would look to me and, like, you know, give me that vote of confidence. Like, yeah, I just, I need to man up and, like, respond and respond in good faith Mm -hmm. and not be bitter about it and not be a jerk about it and not be insensitive and not feel put upon. That's I a, see that's so a in other words you're, you're saying
0: you were you're sort of you were sort of perceiving all of these messages coming into you with kind of a level of like annoyance as opposed to like oh my god my life is so amazing that people want to like reach out and connect with me.
1: Exactly and it's the you know the second thing that you said there that's what I need to tune in on mm-hmm. is that you know I'm so lucky to have this um this is a great burden to have to you it's know, amazing, to amazing you know to, to, to be able to help other people. It's an
0: incredible gift. so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on Everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free. Astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com richroll To start your free month today, that's wakingup.com slash Rich Roll. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. from nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
1: To get this book done on the time frame that I did and to, you know, engage in it as as heavily as I did, you know, going through this minefield with my father and then, you know, the move and the record and all these things. I knew that going into it, that I would have to alienate all my friends, not return phone calls, not return emails, and just be myopically focused just on the book, the book, the book, the book, Mm -hmm. you know, get that finished, the book, the move, the book, the move. I had all these things to get done. And I realized now that I did have to do that and I'm glad I did it and it's done and now it's time for me to start taking care of other people. I got, I really, it's super important to me to invest, you know, invest time in my sister's kids and like have real relationships with them and be there. You know, how was your day at school? Like spend time with them every day, go to Micah's rugby games. And like, you know, I, uh, have a hookup for Disneyland tickets, which is, uh, just hell beyond all imagining in my mind, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna take the girls because uh-huh. they, they will be so happy. It, it will make them so happy, and it's worth a day of suffering for me. When are you going? I don't know. Maybe I'll take my girls, and we'll do it together. Oh, there. Okay, there we go. Done. All right. Done. Thank you. Yeah. See, that's that's why I'm doing the podcast, bursts, is to, is to yeah, ro- you know, yeah. rope you into a stupid idea, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in terms of, like, you know, the writer's life, like, you have to get to that place where you, you're, you know, you're in a, a room with no windows and no internet access, and you just have to be with your thoughts and the page. Um, and it gets harder and harder especially with success and all of that like I you know I'm, I'm trying to carve out time to start workshopping this next book that I want to write but like with the podcast and the kids and the thing it's like it gets harder and harder to be able to do that you know. With the pressures on your time and and all of that. And And you have to, you know, in order to get the work done, you know, in order to get into that creative space and execute on the level that you know you're capable of, you have to make those decisions to, you know, you're really making a decision to invest in yourself and it comes off as selfish, but this is your work, like this is your life and this is what you do. And in order to be there and be of service and be helpful to those that love you, you've got to take care of yourself first. And part of that you know, whether it's running or however you're eating or carving out, out that creative time where you're like, I'm not available, doesn't make you a bad person because you can't respond to every single message that comes into you on Facebook or respond to every tweet or every email that comes in, you know, from somebody looking for advice. Uh, you know, a, as your writing career and your music career, be, you know, continues to escalate, that becomes harder and harder. You know, like I can't respond to every email that comes in and I wish that I could, but I would have to spend my entire day doing that and that is a quality problem to have and one that I'm extremely grateful for and very very in touch with and again it does like I said before there's a level of discomfort with that too but but never for a moment do I am I not in touch with like how you know what a gift that is and how amazing that is and and I don't take it lightly it's not I'm never annoyed I'm like that's incredible that somebody would. I mean, what would it take for you, Mishka, to sit down and write somebody a letter about how much they've impacted your life in a positive way? You know, it's a it's a big I, it's a big deal. I think it's a yeah. big deal, and so every time I get one of those, I'm like amazed, you know, and very very grateful. But I can't always respond to every one of them. You know, I try to respond to the ones that are about recovery. You know, those yeah. are the ones that I always like. Yeah. Okay, I got to respond to this one. That's my first priority. Um, but but you know i've spent days where i'm i'm responding to all of that and then i don't get to the thing that i actually need to do for that day yeah you know and that's sometimes that's the way it goes
1: well you know one of the points that i made to my sister is you know she um her husband bill works incredibly hard and he's you know a great father a great guy i really love him and um but he works incredibly hard, you know, and he, when he comes, you know, he has a pretty stressful job and, you know, he needs, uh, he needs to be able to lean on his wife for, you know, support. There's, she's got four little kids, you know, so she's, um, she's really, um, the support system for in, her entire house, you know? And, you know, she was saying to me like, oh, I feel so terrible taking 45 minutes away to exercise every day, you know, because I, I could be doing you know things for the kids or things for Bill you know or things for Mom or things for you, um, but if I don't exercise every day, I just I get crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I told her I was like, if you fall apart, this whole operation stops. Yeah, like we we're all relying on you. So the be- if you want to help us, take care of yourself. Yeah, take that time to make sure you get your sleep exercise, if it's going to put you in a better mood, eat right, you know, take good care of it. the best way taking to taking
0: care of yourself does not make you irresponsible or a bad person or even selfish, like you have to do that in order to take care of other people. And and I just did a podcast a couple days ago. Um, I haven't aired it yet. But with Jeff uh, Castellas, who's president of Electra Records, um, you know ran danger bird you know founded ran danger bird records which is a super cool indie label like the guy is you know at the top tier of the music industry he's an amazing dude sober and uh and he suffered something that you know i would wish upon i, w- I would wish upon nobody mm-hmm. he, when he lost his six-year-old son Uh, in a protracted battle with cancer. And in the process of his son being ill, you know, he started a blog to kind of like express his emotions of what he was going through. And that blog kind of went viral, like it affected a lot of people because he was being really raw and transparent about what it's actually like to have, you know, a child that's so sick and and, on a day-to-day basis, like what is entailed in going through that. And, you know, he's a big cyclist. And, and at the end of the podcast, I was like, you know, what are some things that you could make sure that you want people to know, like other parents out there who might be in the midst of, you know, what you went through. And he was like, you got to take care of yourself. And it's so easy not to because there's so much to do. And so much is at stake. And all of your emotional energy is invested in the well being of your of your sick child. But if you don't, take that time. Well, he's like I had to get out and ride my bike every day. You know, I just had to because if I didn't do that, I couldn't show up for everything else emotionally, physically, mentally, everything else. And he's like, you know, that's the thing that parents have to remember who are going through and I, and, and that's applicable I think to everybody, you know, who's living a busy life. Like it's easy to just push that aside and say, well, that can come tomorrow. But again, that goes to the, you know, you got to like keep the infrastructure sound you know the foundation starts to crack the whole thing collapses
1: yeah when I um when I quit drinking and when I you know got better and started running and stuff like that I uh you know I did it was a purely selfish thing I I I had to save my own ass but in doing that it was a tremendous gift to my family you know that um
0: your your perception of it was that it was selfish but you know, I think what we share is that, you know, that was a way of trying, you know, that sort of like crucible of pain was necessary in order to grapple with, you know, where we stood in our lives and like what we wanted to be and do. And, and, you know, it was, it it was the equivalent of the person who goes to live in an ashram in India or something like that is like a, it was a soul exploration process in order to, you know, resolve certain questions about, you know identity and and you know what your what your future life might hold for you yeah so you qualify it as 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 selfish and i understand why and i and i say the same thing too quite often but you know the more distance i put between myself and and kind of that experience um the more i realize that that you know it was really i mean it felt selfish it still on some level does but but i think it was absolutely necessary in order for me to be able to kind of come out the other side and and you know be a more effective husband and father.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, what I didn't realize when you know I was working so hard to get myself well is that um, you know I, I'd felt so isolated in, um, you know in my drinking my drug use. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like I was totally alone, and I didn't realize that it was, you know that my my sister uh, you know what used to be like every time I would come to visit her, when I would leave, uh, she would cry. And I was like, well, you know, why are you crying now? I'm okay. And she said, well, it used to be every time I saw you after you left, I would cry because I I didn't know if that was going to be the last time I was going to see you. And now I cry because I know it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know that like you're back and, um, And that really made me realize that, you know, when I when I was out there utterly alone, I wasn't utterly alone. My family was fucking worried sick about me. Mm -hmm. And then now that, you know, that they know that I'm better, that I got my head screwed on straight and that um, I'm vigilant about my own self-care. They worry so much less, you know, and that um, by. You know, that's the thing we were talking about before, you know, like by doing something good for myself, I did a great thing for my family, too. You know, like their, you know, their son or their brother came back,
0: you know. Right, 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 right. And that's a beautiful thing to celebrate, man.
1: Yeah, it feels good to be back, man. Still, you know, every day I, um, you know, I was fighting with the moving company like trying to get my shit delivered. And I was just like, ah, fuckers, you know, like hanging up the phone. I looked over at my sister and she looked at me and she was like, you want to go run? And I was like, let's go run. You know, we went running like just, you know, cursing at each other. About, like, oh, these people. Yeah. And we came back and we we're like, all right, let's get some work done. You know? Cause we just like, we were able to get, go out, you know, bond with each other, gripe about what was bothering us, get our heart rates up, get sweaty. And then we just came back and we were like, we're good. You know, we can, mm-hmm. now we can face the day. We can deal with this stuff.
0: But what was going on with your health, man? Like your health started to deteriorate a little bit. Was this in the process of trying to get the book done, and you weren't taking care of yourself? Or you know, I just you had some kind of like cryptic posts on Facebook that made it clear like something was happening that didn't sound so good.
1: Yeah, I uh, I'll spill the beans. I don't care. I um, yeah, when I was up in Canada, I started having uh, this is going to be graphic pain when I urinated. Mm-hmm. and it at first it was just a this is the difference it's funny you know with it's like a um,
0: urinary tract infection
1: it gets better the uh you know in with people coming to awareness of trans issues and that gender appears you know a lot of people are realizing understanding that gender sort of manifests on a spectrum it's not black and white, you're a man or a woman you know it's um you know people are sort of trying to define what is a man and what is a woman and I think the I think the dividing line is um you know it, a woman down there if she feels like her vagina has bad vibes she'll go to the doctor and like get it dealt with and if you're a man you're like well I'm only in excruciating t- pain five times a day <laughs> other than that it's mostly okay so why don't I wait and see if this gets any worse <laughs> <Yeah>. that's classic <laughs> And, so clearly, you did not go to the doctor. Uh, I took a, it took me a couple of days to go to the doctor, and then it was just finally where I was like, so it's like almost in tears.
0: Swords every time you're, yeah, uh, going yeah. To it was it was
1: brutal. So of course, I was like, um, I have uh, I have a bladder infection. I have a UTI. I have a STD. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I went and got tested for everything, twice, three times. Nothing. No sign of infection whatsoever. They, they're giving me just antibiotic after antibiotic, you know, the, the, like Cipro, the real, like heavy, hardcore dev, you know, stuff that's really incredibly bad for your gut and, uh, nothing was working Hmm. and I I was just getting more and more, you know, it's demoralizing to be in constant, you know, to be in pain like that. And finally I went to go and see a special, you know, and this is in my final week in New York when I'm packing up the house, Mm -hmm. finishing the final stuff on the book, you know, it's just, there could not be more of a pressure cooker. And then finally, I go to a urologist, and he was like, yeah, all of your tests are not just normal, but good. Um, I know that you're in a lot of pain, so we know something's going on. Are you under a lot of stress? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, moving out of where you've lived for, you know, a very long period of time is considered... I mean, that, like, changing jobs, moving uh getting out of a relationship like these are the the biggest stressors that you can experience Yeah, you know suffering the loss of a you know a loved one or something like that
1: yeah and um and he was like you you need to find a way to relax and i was like all all right buddy and he was like no because if you don't things are going to get worse like maybe your kidneys will start to shut down and Then I recalled that like over the course of my life, I've had, you know, I had shingles when I was 17 and then I had it come back again when I was in my 20s. I've had a bunch of weird, my friend Aaron, uh, dropped dead on the street one day and then was brought back to life and then died again and then brought back to life. He has a weird heart anomaly. So we were, he was in like, um, ICU at Beth Israel and we were like doing, you know, sort of bedside vigil waiting for him to die. And, um you know, I was talking to one of the doctors, like, you know, what's going on with my buddy. And he was like, what's up with your hands? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, I saw you looking at your hands earlier, those red and white, those painful red and white blotches. That's border, borderline anaphylactic shock. The next thing that's going to happen is your throat's going to close up. And then we're going to admit you. And he was like, you have to find a way to chill out. Otherwise you're going to be in deep shit. And then that night, Aaron came out of the woods. He woke up. He was okay. No brain damage. And I fell on the floor and just wept. And then the next day, my hands were fine. Wow.
0: So you have this, like, sort of anxiety reaction that manifests itself biologically. like Not really psychosomatic, but basically... So it's weird because the blood tests show nothing, but the urologist is like, this is being caused by your emotional state. Yep, exactly. Even though, like... There's still something physical that's causing your causing you the pain, though. You couldn't identify that.
1: Well, it was inflammation, but it was inflammation that was caused by my crazy brain.
2: Hmm.
1: And um, and you know, fortunately, like an old friend of the family, I was, had already I was out of my apartment by this point. I had no place to go. I had tour dates booked in Colorado, and uh, I was and my sister was like, "No, just pull the plug." pull the plug on the dates. That's it. You know, I never miss shows. I played a show with a broken finger. Once played a show with strep throat, I canceled those shows, Hmm. you know, and I went and my, you know, these old family friends, uh, put me up in their apartment. I slept 16 hours a day for three or four days. And then I started to feel better. Wow. Well, I mean,
0: if you needed to sleep 16 hours a day, then something was definitely wrong.
1: I stopped taking all my medication, started drinking, you know, just drank a lot of water, ate good food. And, Little by little, symptoms went away. I had pink eye, too, that came on at exactly the same time. Mm. Went away without medication. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just... I just run myself into the ground, man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I know um, it's a good lesson. I got to take, you know, all this shit that I was just saying 10 minutes ago about how you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. (laughs) I got to take my own advice, man.
0: I mean, how's the diet? You know, it's like, I know you take Uh, like sort of morose pride in your Instagram posts of, you know, the... The sad, you know, bachelor can of tuna, you know, or can of beans with a with a fork in them. Well, no, this I have is the I, meal. Like I have my own. St- it, it's sort of like it's it's similar to the van, you know. You're like you're holding on to this,
1: like. Well, I finally idea. I have my own uh, political stance on it now. It's a uh, povertyarian. I mean, come on, let, let's <laughs> let go of that. All right. No, the um, the the can of beans that was just something that came out of utility. You know, if you're writing all day, you have 15 minutes to like eat a meal or whatever. I was just like, oh, all right, this is going to be fast. And then when I posted it and everybody went crazy, and I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep, I'm yeah, just going to keep annoying you guys. A, you're
0: getting affirmed, you know, like you're getting some, <laughs> you're getting like some juice, you know, from, yeah. from, from doing that. But this is not serving you.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. And I have a, I'll go one step further and embarrass myself a little bit more. Um, from my experiments with doing plant-based I was like, wow, I don't need to eat animal protein at every meal in order to have energy, in order to recover, in order to, to feel full, in order to feel well. Ergo, I can just eat gummy beer gummy bears for breakfast. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> lunch <laughs> and dinner. <laughs> And I'll be fine. That's how you solve that equation. That's how you almost get hospitalized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's rich. It's idiotic. It so is, man. It, I Come mean, on, to dude. say it, I, like I feel so. You're I feel, a
0: grown ass man.
1: I, I, apparently, yeah. I mean, physically anyway. Like you're what's in California, wrong
0: the sun's shining. You turned your book in. Let's focus on this a little bit now, yeah. shall we?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's time. I it's time for me to get right, and I gotta like. Um, but being especially a my-
0: now, you're going to be on the road, you know. And, yeah. I mean, here's the other thing about like like I don't I don't know how you do this. Like I, I, there's no way that I could be spending so much time in like dingy bars. I mean, especially without going to tons of meetings and being completely mm-hmm. dialed in, uh, you know, in recovery. Like that's got to take. A, like an energetic toll on you, just kind of being in those environments every single night to play music. Like, how do you manage that?
1: The, I couldn't do it. I almost never feel temptation. Almost never. But it's
0: not even it's not even that. It's not it's not necessarily like the desire to drink or not drink, but just kind of being around. Like, like on some level, like it's just you know, it's not a high vibration. You know, when you're just around like a lot of people that are drinking and smoking all the time, it's like. You go to Las Vegas and if you're just in the casino, like I know it's like, oh, you know, there's people, it's eight o'clock in the morning, they're, they're drinking and smoking and pulling on the slot machine. Like I get depressed, you know, I don't, I don't want to drink. It doesn't look good to me, but like. It, it it like is a heaviness, you know, that like, I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I think it's, it can be similar if you're just in tons of pubs all the time, like every single night.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. And um, it's remarkable for somebody who spent most of their life being wasted. I have zero tolerance for drunks. You know, after like 10pm, when people start telling me they love me like three times in a row, I'm like, I'm fucking out of here. I can't deal with you. It's not that I feel temptation. I'm just like, this is so boring. But this is what I'm hooked on, man. Is that some of the smartest, funniest people in the world, who, you know, philosophers, are up there on stage at, in these shitty bars, telling jokes, and it's the highest high. Um, you know, touring with JT Habersat, Jay White Cotton. I played with Tom Rhodes last night. Obviously, Doug Stanhope. Um, you know, I've been running, you know, it was just about every day since I've been out in California and like my lungs are all sort of clearing out residual crap. I laughed so hard last night at Tom Rhodes that I had to like get up and go and spit in the alley because I was reaching parts of my lungs mm-hmm. that I haven't been reaching from running because I was just gasping with laughter, you know, and that shit is so good for you. It's, it's good for your brain. It's good for your body. It's good for everything, you know? And I, um, you know, I, I love, I love my comedian friends like nothing else. I had the best day hanging out with Tom yesterday, just talking about, talking about everything from racism in America to, you know, him losing his father and me, you know, getting right with my dad and, you know, talking about jokes and, and everything in between. And, um, man, there's, there is nothing better in this world than a belly laugh, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh. I'm with you on that,
0: but but I think you know not every night you're out with comedians, right? Like a lot of it, a lot of times you're just in, you're just playing bars and it's just the music, yeah. Or are you or is it comedians with you all the time?
1: Mostly, I've been touring with comedians oh, now. Have. Yeah, oh, no. I've I've been doing a, you know a ton of touring with comedians, and then the only other person I've toured toured with you know who isn't a comic is my friend Michael Dean Damron, who is probably the most gifted songwriter I've ever met in my life, and he is also a, a incredibly funny motherfucker, mm-hmm. just constantly cracks me up Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so i mean a lot of it is just like you know i'm just playing with my friends you know and um you're you're right to express concern and to and to not to not instantly grok it um i'm getting to the end of it I'm, i'm getting to the end of sort of like what i can handle and what i can deal with i'm you know this next big run like as much as i you know can't you know can't wait to like hang out with JT and and Jay Whitecotton and like Mike Weeby from Riverboat Gamblers and you know hear all the new jokes that those guys have and just you know just crack up um you know those drives through West Texas just it takes years off your life mm-hmm. and you know it's a, it's damaging to your sanity and i think that i'm probably you know i'll probably be homeless for like the next year and then i will be homebound <laughs> we'll and are you find... going to
0: stay down with your your sister and her kids and your mom, or are you going to get a place up in town here in LA, or what are you going to do?
1: My my plan is to uh, to make my sister's my HQ, you know, because that's the thing is when you come off the road, you want to come all the way off the road and mm-hmm. being there with the kids and the dogs and the citrus grove and like that's all the way off the road. Um, I'm hoping to do a Sunday night show with my friend Brad Erickson in LA, so I'll probably be up you know once a week or whatever. You may find me sleeping in the garage at your place once or twice. or yeah, you know, I hanging mean, I'm with just thinking like
0: if you're in L.A., you know, we could do some we could do some live podcast stuff. We could Dude, do. Some, let's just let's figure out how to get them recorded. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, we could get do like a weekly a, show or we could something do, like that. Yeah, we could just book some some little, you know, small little venue or theater. You know, even if we got like 30, 40 people to show up, like, yeah. a lot, you know, there's a bunch of other people that do that around town. Um, that could be a fun thing to do
1: we, there's a back, mo- we should uh, We should write a book, we should do I like know. a a um, you know we should host a show together we we still have a couple of big stupid races that we got to do together there's all kinds of stuff now, um,
0: now that you 're semi local
1: yeah, yeah, and that 's another thing too is that you know now that the book is done i f- I feel i 've never been so excited about running like i just I knew that I was going to have to let my endurance training go. In order to get the book done, so I've been, you know, and that's a big thing that I learned from Robin Arzone. Huge shout out to Robin is just like, do those little three, four, five miles run, you know, runs every day to so have get some, you know, consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, It doesn't have to be like eighteen miles every, you know. You know, once a week, and then you don't do anything else. Right, right, you know, right. and you're like ruined. Yeah, after
0: consistency it. is much more mm. important than you know putting in the monster workout. Yeah, but it's hard, yeah. especially as an alcoholic. Like you want to like you want to go do you want you want the massive oh, know, yeah. thing. And it's like oh well, three mile. Who cares about that?
1: You know, I'm I'm but, still and I haven't had I haven't been able to fit this into my schedule. But I'm still looking forward to the big like bender run where yeah. I have a, <laughs> a free day where I'm just like you're gonna I'm just run all day. I'm just going to run as far as I can. And then I'm going to turn around and come back mm-hmm. and, like, just leave it all out there on the road. Just be, like, you know, crying and covered with salt and dust and limping when I come home and just, like, just get it all out. Because yeah. I've been storing up a lot of shit, man. I'm ready to go out there and have one of those big epic it's runs. The,
0: uh, it, it's the ultra-athletes version of an ayahuasca trip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You got to burn it. You know, you got to burn it all in the, you know, the funeral pyre. Yeah. You got to burn it, burn all that, that stuff off, man.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, it's a victory lap for me. I mean, this, you know, getting this book done is a huge accomplishment to be, to be given the opportunity to publish a, a book to, you know, to have a book in, you know, a physical book to hold. That's so massive. Um, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the work that I did. I'm proud of the work that I did with my dad. I'm proud of my dad for, you know, enduring, you know, all the shit that we went through together. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I deserve to have a big, stupid run like that. You
0: deserve a lot, man. (laughs) You know, I'm glad that you're able to, like, embrace that. And I can hear the gratitude for the book, too. And I know that, you, you know, you fought hard for it. Um, and you had your moments of, you know, like I, I don't know if I want to do this and you know, da, da 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 da. So to be on the other side of it and having it, you know, turned in and essentially completed and to have that sense of gratitude is cool, man. That's progress.
1: The the harder something is, it's like the more the more it's worth it. Of course. You know. Dude, I listened to your pod with uh with James, the Iron Cowboy, mm-hmm. crying on the plane, like listening to uh you know, his wife talking about him, like just crying uncontrollably after three days. And, uh, that guy's a maniac and he's so lucky to have the family that he has. Oh, he's yeah. His, his wife's amazing that, you know, she was like, this is my man and I've got a, I got to take care of him. I got to be with him. I've got to support him. And I got to kick his ass out the door in the morning. Lace up those shoes, boy, Mm -hmm. you got some work to do. You know, it's like, it's, man such just such an awesome story such an awesome family
0: it's pretty incredible like i i think you know sort of having you know now it's been a couple of weeks since i you know was up there and experienced you know the end of that and and was able to you know have that conversation with him and his and his family and his crew guys and all of that and you know the more i think about it the more amazed I am at what he accomplished. And I, I think that, you know, most people, they just don't, I mean, there's sort of, you know, people like, oh my God, that's amazing. But it's like, hold on a second. Like, let's really like go there. Like <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more than that. Like it's I, devastating. You know, I can't even it's like mind boggling. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and, and it sounds like hyperbole when I say, and I've said it before, like I really think it's one of the most extraordinary achievements and, in you know the annals of voluntary human endurance like it really is
1: it's phenomenal it's uh, you know okay let's take what james did (laughs) let's throw it out the window for a second just just put it aside lucy his daughter ran a 5k every day for 50 days yep that's fucking incredible yeah just that I know. I, we should do the Lucy Post Challenge where we get we everybody signs up and we all do five k a day yeah. every day for the fifty Lucy. days. <laughs> that
0: would be a that's, cool thing
1: because <laughs> that alone yeah. that's so hard. Yeah. But and then okay, now let's put the camera back on what you know what James did and that like I mean I know you and I were both rooting for him so hard, but but also but at the beginning. I I couldn't let myself root for him because I was like this, this can only end in tears, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I just I cannot fuck it blew my it blew my fucking mind that he did it. Yeah, I cannot believe it. It's just it's historical.
0: <laughs> I also think like one of the things that I observed, and you know, I I had the the podcast with him before he went and did it. And that was the only, my only experience, you know, he hung out at the house a little bit after that. But, you know, that's as much as I knew of him, you know, was that couple hours that we spent. But I got a sense of like, who this guy is, and kind of what he's about, and got a sense of his energy. Um, And, and at the time, I remember thinking, like, this guy's a really impressive athlete, but you know, I'm just, I don't know, we'll see, right. Uh, And then, kind of being there when he was finishing and kind of running that marathon with him and experiencing how he was interacting with someone it was like you know again this sounds like hyperbole but it reminded me of the Russell Crowe character Maximus in Gladiator like somebody who's just so in their power in like Mm -hmm. a really quiet confident way like not in an arrogant way not in a boisterous way but somebody who's just you know they're just present with who they are they understand like what they're commanding around them and they're doing it with like grace and gratitude and like humility and that's what I got from it. I I watched him, I observed him. I saw how he, you know, was touching everyone and the way that he kind of, you know, sort of gracefully navigated all the social pressures that came with that. It was impressive, man. And he was like you were like that guy's a powerful dude. You know, and like he he kind of was starting to understand the significance of what he accomplished and how he was touching all these people. I mean, dude, 3,500 people were there in Utah, like, going bananas. Like, it was—I've never seen anything like that. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation— A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to the conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
1: One of the things that I learned when I was starting to run was that only being enraged would get me out the door, and that was that was easy at that time because I was always angry, and um, but I burned through that in like three or four miles. You know, it's it's hard to stay angry that long. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you. My uh, my godmother was dying of cancer at the time, and so I tried to just think about her healthy and happy and, like, doing well and just carry, like, her smiling face in my head with me when I ran, that's how I was able to run long. It was hatred that got me going and love that kept me going. And that's what I took away from, you know, from listening to that that pod with with James is that for him it was a great act of love. You know, that it was... um, that was a huge Valentine to his wife and to his family and to his world. That's what we do as runners. We adventure out into the world and it's, it's, it's an act of love to say, I I care about myself. I care about my life. I care about this world. I want to have adventures. I want to engage in my reality. I've done, I've been in my head enough. I've been on the computer enough. I've been watching TV enough. I love this world. I want to, I want to eat as much of it as I can, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Um, and, it, and it stands in contrast to the critics who would say, well, this was a selfish endeavor, and how could he do this to his wife and his kids? You know, they risk so much and, you know, all of that. And it's like, it's a weird thing because, you know, you have to do something insane to get on people's radar and to get attention. But then when you do that, you're like, yeah, but that was irresponsible. <laughs> you know, it's like we want to celebrate these amazing achievements but then we want to criticize them for actually taking the risk or, or the leap of faith that's necessary in order to to do that. In the same way, like, look, I just posted my podcast interview with Conrad Anker. Like, that guy goes out and, you know, does these, you know, unbelievable high-altitude climbs where the risk is literally life and death. And and we celebrate that as as someone who is an extraordinary adventurer. And, you know, he has his critics who are like, how could you, how could you, you know, take that kind of risk when you're married and you have these kids, you know, and the kids are, are, are the survivors of their dad who who was lost in an avalanche. So it's a very heightened thing, you know, and so he's got to, like, sit with that, right? Let's, so, let's look
1: at this another way. Let's look at what, you know, typical, uh, typical dads are doing in America, working 60 hours a week, eating crap food, being 40 pounds overweight. Working long hours at the office to buy a boat to buy a jet ski—that's fucking irresponsible. You're you are you're not um, taking your, yourself out of your kids' life for th- two, three, four months in the summertime, like like James did. Uh, you're absenting yourself from their lives a little bit every day—two um, hours here, three hours here, four hours there—and then by not taking care of yourself. When you have that heart attack, when you're 49, you're it, you're you're putting yourself at much, more, much greater risk by doing that than by doing an insane climb or an ultra marathon or something insane. By you know, like what James did, you know, we should all be so irresponsible as to dream like that guy and, mm-hmm. and be like, no, everybody. You guys are all coming with me. You're my family. I love you. I need you there. Come mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah.
0: And the sheer audacity to dream that big. To, like, have a dream that's so insanely large. I yeah. mean, to go out and execute on it.
1: Yeah, dude, I, dude is an animal. I mean, I, <laughs> I just, you know, one word, respect.
0: He could have kept going, man.
2: I know! <laughs> what a, I mean, what he had, hell? like,
0: the swim on the final day, he had a rough time. Like, he, there was a moment where it looked like it might fall apart. But on that run, man, he was solid. And, like, literally, like, the last kind of mile and a half before – He stopped so that everyone could run the final 5K with him. He was throwing down. We were easily running seven-minute pace, you know, at the the very, very, very tail end of his 50 Ironmans in 50 states of 50 days. Phenomenal. You know, so it's pretty cool, right?
1: I I have to ask you this, though, man, because hopefully this is a question that's on other people's minds. He didn't do six Ironmans in six days on, you know, Six different Hawaiian islands. Uh, he didn't beat your record or break your record. He fucking annihilated it. Yeah. And um, my um, my understanding of you and and what's important, you know, to me about you is is not the Epic Five, but who you are right now, day to day, in our in our conversations, on or off mic. Um, but but you. But I know you. You're my friend. I mean, you must have had feelings. You know, did, did you feel jealous? Did you feel um, unhappy? Did you feel um, that you'd been shown up? Or was it what did, was it? Did you only feel positive things for him? Or I mean, tell us because if you felt negative things, we need to know. Like everybody out there needs to know.
0: I I couldn't have been more excited or more proud at what he did. You know, and and. You know, like I've been very honest about in the beginning, like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure he was going to make it. And so, like, yeah. the the more debased version of my character is like, ah, oh, he's going to have to take a rest day. We'll see how this goes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay, good, you good. know, he doesn't know what he's in for yet. Yeah. You know, I've walked a mile and blah, blah, blah. But then when it became clear, like, he got through the first four or five, then I was like, then I got, like, really excited for him. You know, I didn't, like... I did Epic Five. It was cool. Like, I didn't do it so that it would be some record and that I could be, like, the only per. It's like, I don't care about that, man. You know, I know that the fact that I did Epic Five and he read Finding Ultra, that that played a part in inspiring him to take on what he did, even if it just on a very tiny de minimis level. Um, and so I celebrate everything that he's doing. Like, I'm... Like, that. this is why you do it. Like, you push the boundary so that you can inspire someone else to go and say, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go here now. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, why would it, I'm not I'm not jealous. I don't you know, I'm me. He's him. We're not competing for anything. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have gone to Utah and run the final marathon with him if I was jealous. Like, I'm mm-hmm. psyched for him and he deserves everything that he's getting. You know, yeah. I could not be happier for him. Yeah. So. You know what I did is different from what he did. I told my story. he's got a different story, and there's we don't live in a zero sum world you know? thank you there's for room, that thank room you for, for si- yeah all of us you know yeah. and I think for me to sit around and go uh oh, well, you know, oh well, you know he did something more than me, so what I did doesn't mean anything like he took he didn't just you know like like you said, he annihilated what I did. He took what I did, and he went ten x on it, yeah. So what am I going to do? Like, oh, I'm bummed? Like, no. like, well, it's, it's, you he, know, like he deserves nothing but, like, yeah, love and respect and, admi- and my admiration.
1: Also, you know, I mean, you know, when we were talking earlier about, you know, I needed to be all the people that I was in the past in order to be who I am now. You know, I had to wake up, you know, having pissed my pants in order to, to not do that anymore and also to have a little sympathy for the guy on the street who's just done the same thing. You know, and I, I think you know there's a lot of uh, of ultra runners out there um, my friend Scott Comer you know on uh, on Facebook you know I see he's doing you know races that are bigger and badder than anything I ever did you know but I know that he gives me props for pointing out to him that oh it was possible you know that like oh yeah I can do this you know and um, so yeah I mean it's um, you know I, I definitely feel like it's it's Scott's victory and not mine you know but but I, I know that, like, I played a tiny little part in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just feel incredibly grateful to have been involved in any way, you know. And I think that, um, you know, I hope you give yourself a little bit of credit for that, too. You know, that, um, you know, that James Red Finding Ultra and he was like, this this is possible and, and maybe more.
0: But I think even beyond that, like, it was just a really great cool gratifying experience for me to be able to participate in telling his story and sharing it and 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 helping it reach more people and i know that you know look he said to me straight blank like basically in every state people were showing up because they heard about it on the podcast and then i was able to get you know this most recent um podcast with him um i was able to get it promoted on the homepage of itunes and it was a really cool feeling to email him and go hey man go to the homepage of check iTunes out. check out and yeah. there's an epic picture of him, you know, and I'm like, this is gonna help a lot of people like learn about yeah. your story and that feels good. You know, it's like blowing wind into his sail is a is a is a cool feeling to have. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: So I mean, you know, and to me too, um, you know, your greatest accomplishment is, is, not, uh, is not the Epic Five or Finding Ultra, but it's this podcast and this space that you've created, the platform that you've given, you know, people like myself and JJ and, and James and Robin and, you know, so many people who I care about and who, you know, whose stories have touched me. And, and you've created a, a space and a platform to, like, send those narratives out in the world so people can say, like, this is possible. There is hope. Mm-hmm. You can change. Uh, Josh Lejuni. Lajani, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that story. Yeah, and um, and that's and another this, this that's is just, another
0: example of something like like with James because <clears throat> you know I was able to share Josh's story and I know that I've helped empower him you know on a journey that he's taking right now where now he's public speaking and he's sharing you know he's like helping a lot of people and it's it's really like at the end of the day when I put my head on the pillow and I'm like. I know that I played a part in helping, you know, in helping him get out there and like sort of pushing him out into the world and go, your story has merit and has value and it's inspiring and you can help people and you need to get out in front of people and start doing that. And to see him doing that right now and he's working on a book and, you know, it's like that's really awesome, you know, because it's not about me and my story. Like this is about sharing everybody's story. And again, it goes back to the beginning of me like feeling weird about getting these emails because it's like it's about the stories of the, my guests and, and what they're sharing and to the extent that I can that I can you know be a cipher for that like that's just that's an awesome awesome feeling you know it's that it, it goes back to that adage of like like if I can just like remove my I just want to remove my ego from this whole thing and like allow these voices to come through and be of service to that so that you know in in hopes that that can like be a salve to somebody who's suffering out there yeah. and to the extent that I can get into that mindset and really honor that and serve that like that's a magical place to be and that's all I want for this
1: it's it's a testament too to the power of narrative like how how we use story to make sense of the chaos in our lives and mm-hmm. how and how we use stories and um, you know the tales of other people's accomplishments or their or their struggles how we use that as a means of uh, a lens through which to see our own struggles and opportunities for us to change, you know, for us to transform. Um, you know that I'm a huge story addict. You mm-hmm. know, any any good story. You know, I I just you know that's one of the things. There's about nothing
0: like, more powerful than a than a than a story well told. You know, and and the power of a story is less in in uh, in the actual details of the story and more in how it's told. You know, and how it's told. Right? How do you how do you convey a message in a compelling way? And that's your job as a, as a writer and as, you know, a spoken word person up on stage at the moth or whatever it is yeah. that you're doing or or in or in, you know, writing a song.
1: When uh, when I'm in some crappy dive bar and some, you know, some old guy says. You're never going to believe this story, but every word of it is true i'm i'm right there man like the hair goes up on the back of my neck and i'm like okay everybody shut up i got okay speak you know and that's that's the power of it Mm -hmm. yeah that's my jam that's my new drug man story
0: all right, well, speaking of story, uh, you're now in a position where you're actually trying to convey some wisdom about story to younger minds. Oh, God. Uh, up in oh, New God. Haven. so oh, I got the, called the out on this. The hilarious irony of Mishka like, teaching writing at Yale University is just, I love it. It's awesome. So what was that, ex- what was that experience like teaching there this summer?
1: Maybe better than finishing the book. Um, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a teacher. And then, you know, as I got older and made different decisions with my life, it's like, well, I guess I won't be an astronaut. I guess I won't be a surgeon. I guess I won't be a teacher, you know, because I was a drunk and who's going to let me, you know, teach anyone. And then uh, Yale contacted me and, uh, you know, and asked me to teach this, you know, intensive four-day um, seminar. And uh, I've never, be, you know, I... You know, I'm down with ultra marathons. I'm, I'm down with violence. I'm down with grueling tours. You know, I, I'm not a very fearful person. And I was terrified about mm-hmm. having a blackboard and like having to teach people and stuff like that. And uh, the you know and the other thing is i was the new teacher there so nobody had really signed up for my workshop everybody who i'd got in my class they were like oh well i wanted to be in this other workshop but it was full so that's why i'm here <laughs> so <laughs> the first thing that i had to say was that's awesome i was like you're all in the right place i'm going to bust my ass to make sure every single person in this class gets what they need out of this class you know and um and I, you know, I'm, I'm, my goal is is for all of us to leave here totally exhausted, and that I want this to be intense. I want you guys to remember it.
0: How did you How did you begin the process of trying to like create a curriculum for something like this?
1: Well, the you know the the umbrella was that I was you know going to be teaching people how to write a nonfiction Kindle single. That you know that was sort of how we that was our our entrance into it. Instead of it, a lot of it ended up just being. How to survive as a writer, how to live as a writer, how not to give up um, writing habits, how to how to write a pitch email, how to, you know, how to deal with negative feedback online. You know, the the first handout that I gave them was uh, like 10 one star reviews for the long run. Um, oh, that's great. and I, I handed it and i you know, stacked it in a way so that my name wasn't in, you know, wasn't on the page until the very last one. Mm-hmm. And I had them read it aloud and just read these like terrible, you know, this guy should be sterilized. So nobody with his g- genetic material could ever write and put another, commit another word to <laughs> Did print. Did you get a review like
0: that on Amazon?
1: <laughs> that's hyperbole, but there were some pretty cutting, uh-huh. you know, and then when they got to the last one and they, somebody read my name and they all looked at me like, Oh my God, are you okay? And, and I said, listen. That story bought a house for my mother. So fuck them all. <laughs> not everybody's going to like what you do. And if everybody likes what you do, you're, do- you're doing something wrong. Then it's vanilla ice cream. You know, you're, you're, it's mayonnaise. It's not like it's nothing meaningful. Um, and, um, but it was all nonfiction. So some of the stories that we dealt with were a woman who had lost her son to drug addiction the year before. Uh, a woman who, after the uh, the birth of her fourth child, her husband committed suicide. Mm. A um, a woman who had a preventive double mastectomy um, that went terribly wrong, and she you know was left you know very scarred and is still you know navigating that process. Um, incredibly. Incredibly heavy stories. Hmm. You know, and I had, of course, I had the whole folder of, you know, dick jokes that I'd prepared for the class that I just sort of like, okay, just gonna throw these throw away. And it, you know, I had to be very serious and very, sensitive and thoughtful for four days without break. And it was exhausting, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I, like, <laughs> as soon as I got home, I cornered my roommate and I was like, okay, I have another dick joke. I have another dick joke, you know, and I had to get that out too. But uh but it was so awesome, man. I mean my um I told my class, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, listen, we know who we are. We have an identity. We're the orphans. You guys all came here. Nobody wanted to be here. You all all felt like you didn't belong. You belong. You know, this is us together. And like, you know, we really, I thought we were all going to cry at the end of the class. It was so good. Um, But yeah, it was awesome. They're going to have me back next year for, uh, for a month. I think I'm going to be teaching a couple of different um, classes. Everybody should sign up. It's going to be, it's going to be intense, you know? Um, You know, and the other thing too, is that people are bringing in these, like, some of them are like just horrifying, transformative life experiences. So we have to understand that and respect it. And then look at what's wrong with the paragraph. Look at what's wrong with the sentence. Mm -hmm. Look at what's wrong with the word, you know? So you have, they have to be able to trust you enough to go in and do, you know, basically open heart surgery while they're still awake. Right, 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 right. And you have to have a a fine enough touch that you can show them how to change it, how to improve the thing without everybody bursting into tears because it hurts or
0: discouraging them so much that they want to abandon it. Yeah, that's a fine yeah. that's a fine line to walk. And here you are, you're now you're a teacher, man, at Yale no less. How's the uh, how's the uh, interaction with the rest of the faculty? Oh, it's with the tweed you know, with the tweed
1: set. It's awesome. It's so weird. It's uh, nobody knows what to do with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like the faculty lounge. Like I'm definitely the
1: cool teacher. Can you go to the Yale yeah.
0: Club in New York now and hang out?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> uh, even, even if I could, I wouldn't. Yeah. But um, I can't see you there. But it's it, you know the and
2: the,
1: it was such a great experience for me too to hang out with uh, with other with other teachers with the other faculty with other academics and talk about you know this sort of forgotten lexicon that I have of writing and you know, sort of serious study of literature and, uh, and every person, every faculty member there is smarter than I am. And I have so much to learn from them. And I love being the dumbest person in the room because you learn the most. Yeah, of course. And, uh, oh, I was just awesome. Everybody was super nice to me and they, uh, you know, they love, you know, and I, I, They, you know, they, they treated me with respect, you know, they were like, oh, you're the, you know, alcoholic rock and roll degenerate. Right. Welcome.
0: Every college needs one of those, one (laughs) of those, one of those guys. Uh, He's the professor that, you know, ends up becoming the most popular, you know, sort of this.
1: Oh, dude, I gave this kind of like a
0: David Foster Wallace type character.
1: I gave this speech and I just killed my, uh, my editor from Amazon was supposed to come in with me, but his dog was dying that day. And we were going to do a, you know, sort of a conversation. Is this the one
0: them. you did at the the hoity-toity stuffy club?
1: Uh, it was um, it, it the National Arts Club. Yeah. And it was, yes, yeah, so it was, you know, I'd lifted some stuff from that, but it was, you know, no notes. And I just got up there and I said. Uh, and you gave this speech where? At, uh, at Yale. At Yale. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, a hundred people in the room. And I just said, um, I got my big break as a writer by living as a penniless alcoholic, uh, doing a ton of weird drugs and getting shipwrecked. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just looked at me like, "Oh man, who is this guy?" You know, I was like, "All right. All right, let me give you a little more context, you know." But it was awesome. It was they re- everybody really responded. They were all fired up and like, "That's cool. It was cool."
0: Yeah, you did a similar thing at the National Arts Club, right? And you it was like, you, "I remember you posted a picture of it like just to like sort of paint the picture like you know mahogany you know walls and like everything you would imagine like a really stuffy like kind of old school club would be where you're up at the podium and there's a bunch of old people there right?
1: and the inside of it, it it's like bosnia herzegovina it's like some uh, you know, some Eastern European country that doesn't exist anymore because the last time they remodeled the place was like in the 1700s. Uh-huh. So it, you're just, you, you don't lots well, of uh,
0: black and white photos of parties from like 1964.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you, you just, you go back in time when you walk in there and I was just like, I am so unqualified to be here. And uh, I just told, you know, I, my speech was about like, you know, Richard Pryor and uh, you know, and pissing my pants and, uh, and it fucking ate it up. <laughs> I think
0: you told me, like, some old lady come and gave you a hug afterwards.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's where the book release party is going to be. Mm. They they really wanted you know to to have me back. Wow, and, uh, and I can't an interesting wait for choice, it. Man. I'm going to have right. to rent a blazer for uh, JJ so he can come.
0: Yeah, he might not even show up. <laughs> he, I don't even know. A, even if you gave him a blazer, I don't know that he could he could force himself to put it on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I remember he told me he's like, required. yeah, Mishko, he invited me to go. I can't go to that plate. Like he's like, <laughs> I'm not going in there. <laughs>
1: Uh, he's one of a kind I dude. know
0: so cool man well uh, let's let's uh, let's wrap it up but before we close it down maybe uh, I thought it would be cool if you could kind of share a few insights uh, that that maybe you you picked up as a result of of teaching these writers over the course of the summer that could respond to some of these emails or inquiries you get about you know how to write a great narrative how to write a great story how to put together a book and you know what are some kind of tools or tips that you could just you know express briefly that might be helpful to somebody out there who's considering the possibility of putting pen to paper
1: um when you write eliminate all judgment from your mind uh just let just let it flow just let it whether it, whether you're typing, whether you're, you're writing, just let it flow out of your pen onto the page. Let it flow out of your fingertips onto the keyboard. It doesn't matter if it's garbage, if there's no punctuation, whatever. None of that matters. Just let it out. Just just get it onto the page. That's just, um, and um, don't think about editing. Don't think about anyone else reading it. Uh, don't think about your marketing strategy. You don't think about agents or genre or any of that stuff. Just get it out. Then, you know, write until you're exhausted, leave it alone. Come back the next day. Then start revising. That's when then you start editing. Then deal with that. You're still not thinking about marketing or genre. You're just, I'm taking this, you know, amorphous mass that I spit onto the page. And now I'm going to make it into something, you know, usable. Um, But, you know, at, at each point in writing... You have to shut up the voice in your head that says, this is no good. I'm no good. This Mm -hmm. is hopeless. You just keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you throw a lot of stuff away and, uh, and you, you cry and you tear your hair and you rend your clothes and you curse God and you keep going. Uh Uh, Yeah. I mean, you have to allow yourself to be bad in order to be good. Exactly. Exactly. The way, um, the only way to succeed is to fail over and over and over again. And just just get right in your head with failing. That's how you succeed. I think that's a good place to shut it down. Awesome.
0: Cool, man. So I think I'm going to put this up tomorrow. Awesome. So uh, uh, for people that are listening who perhaps are in the UK, yeah, what are these dates? I mean, is there a place where they can go online or are there a couple things you could Yeah, if, if
1: you go to uh, MishkaShabali.com, all my tour dates are up there and uh yeah i'll hook That's you it? up with a song too to tack on at the end of the
0: yeah podcast i was gonna say let's want. uh let's close it out with a tune what's what do you think
1: uh this is my new sing uh the new single off the in advance of the new record and it's called uh new jersey valentine's day orphan blues excellent man
0: did we play that one before on the show
1: no we played yeah, okay. uh i can't remember when you were mine yeah
0: yeah, yeah. all right cool yeah. man Awesome, man. Always, a, uh, always an honor and a pleasure, dude. I love you,
1: brother. I love you, too. It's great cool. to be here. Let's
0: go, uh, let's go over to the house and hang out with the kids and yeah, play some music and eat some food. Sounds awesome. All right, cool. So if you, you're digging on Mishka, MishkaShubali.com, at MishkaShubali on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of cool stuff. And if you're in the UK, go check them out, uh, listen to them, play some music, and uh, give them a pat on the back. Peace. All right. Peace. Plants.
2: got a big mouth, and you know how to use it, for screaming and howling and swearing and sobbing and boozing but lay down your weapons, we're ready to give in to your demands. Getaway cars packed with cocaine and whiskey and a battered tin can. Happiness is as dull as it seems, and the company loves misery. You'd be happier being unhappy like me. Cause I'll be cutting my milk chocolate heart out just for you The girl with the New Jersey Valentine's Day Orphan Blue Bad thing when I've run out of wrong things to do. But God, everybody's made a few mistakes. Everybody's buried a body or two or three. You said with your hatred and my hangovers that we'd bring the world to its knees. I'll pull my head out of the toilet Long enough to say that I disagree Me with my black market heads And you with your tremors and heads Who's gonna look after the kids? Cause I'll be cutting my milk chocolate heart out just for you The girl with the New Jersey Valentine's Day orphan Cause I'll be cutting my milk chocolate heart out just for you The girl with the New Jersey Valentine's Day Wednesday or